It is good to see all of you this morning. What a pleasure to be here. Uh, For many of you, if you've been here for a while, you know that this is kind of a homecoming for me a year ago. uh, Two years ago, we had a fire at Heritage Christian School that burnt the school down, and we were meeting over in the building before it was remodeled. This was our chapel, so we got to spend at least one year here coming here for chapel and getting to see what God was doing. Um, As I get to share this morning, I'm going to be sharing a little bit of life experiences, but I realize everything I think about is my life experiences aren't that important. What's important is what God has done. And whether it's my life or your life, the heart and my prayer is always, okay, God, what do you want me to do for you? When I was in college, um, God gave me a wonderful gift. Um, I had only been a Christian about a year, and I knew a whole, not a whole lot about the, the Lord, but I asked God, I need to meet Christians. Bring me to the right Christians. And within a few weeks after I started my engineering at Virginia Tech, God brought a, man named, a young man named Bob Boston to my life. He was going to school also, but uh, being part of the Navigator's ministry, Bob chose to live the next four years of his life discipling me and one other um, young man named Mike. And he taught me what it meant to have a quiet time in the morning, how to have a prayer time in the morning, how to pray with expectation. We had meals together. How do you go to the sub and start sharing the gospel with people and, and starting up spiritual conversations? How do you play sports together and show God's character when you're playing sports? We lived life together. And it was such a gift that he gave to me through Bob that I know it changed the rest of my life. Um, I just just in touch with Bob this past week and thanked him once again for what he did. He and his wife have 10 kids. And from a church's perspective, he's not the glorious pastor up front. He's just a person who is living his life. But he invested in two of us a lot during college that has made a difference. The other person, Mike, who he discipled with me, has been a pastor for the last 20 years. He's been in Germany for the last, last 10 years. And it's just to see what God has used this one young man to do at the time to change my life and to change others. So this morning, I, w- I wanted to read one song that has stuck with me these last six or eight years. And it's called One Pure and Holy Passion. I don't know if anybody's heard it or not. But the words stick out to me. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Jesus, give me one glorious ambition for my life, to know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in the truth, this world is empty, pale, and poor. Compared to knowing you, my Lord, lead me on and I will run after you. And as I said, I haven't known this song that long in my life. Maybe some of you have known it longer than I have. But the thing that stood out to me is, and what I'd like to focus on this morning is to know and follow hard after you. I'm adding something to that as I share this morning. What does it mean to walk hard after God for a lifetime? And so I'd like to take a look this morning on what does that look like, to walk hard after God for a lifetime of what he has for us. The reason I shared about Bob and what he invested in my life is when I was in college, Obviously, I was going for an engineering degree, but as always, secondary. That's what was just trained into us as we had Bible studies. Much of what you're doing here, we did ours after classes. But it's like everything you do is what God wants you to do. Seek him in everything. It doesn't matter if you're going to ministry, if you're going to work. It's because God has you to do that. And so as I was facing leaving college, I was praying, and I thought God would send me to the mission field. At that time, Communist Russia was still there. China was closed. And I said, with an engineering degree, I can probably be a missionary in countries that other people can't get into. So, Lord, that's what my plans were. And he changed that. 
ended up getting married, and he said, nope, do engineering. And it didn't matter to me, because whatever you do is Lord's. It doesn't matter what we're doing in life. It's going to be all God's. And so my, I call it ministry for over 20 years, was I was working in the nuclear engineering industry, management, and um, enjoyed every aspect of it. doesn't mean every moment was perfect, but God really, just really blessed it, and I re- really appreciated what he gave to me. Then about 10 years ago, our last son graduated from high school, and my wife and I prayed again and said, okay, is it the mission field now? And we were saying, God, what do you want for our life? And what he said is, come teach at Heritage Christian School in Bozeman for math and science. And I didn't see it again. It's whatever God has is always going to be the best thing you and I can ever have in our life. And so my last 10 years have been such a joy of being able to teach math, science, calculus, chemistry, Bible, accounting. What more could I ask for? And then I've also been able to teach these last four or five years at Montana State and, and get a master's in math ed. And God has just been so gracious through all of it to see this is fun. God just, the older I get, the more he says, you can do so much more in me. And it's amazing how he does that. So what does this have to do with you all sitting here today? Um, You'll see me pacing. It's because I had back surgery about 10 years ago, and my back isn't good if I stand still. So I've taught enough to know that I have to keep walking. Otherwise, by the time I'm done teaching this afternoon back at Heritage, it'll hurt a whole lot. So I'm not nervous. I'm just trying to keep my back normal as I go. One of my biggest heartaches if I look back over my life, is how many people like you will turn away from God in your lifetime? And you go, no, that's not going to happen to me. And I pray that would be the answer. I see the people who I see at Heritage Christian School, and I go, the odds are two-thirds of them within 10 years are not walking after God. You take a Bible college, you say, of course everybody here is going to walk after God the rest of their life. And the reality is, because I'm old, I guess there's a few other old people here, but probably not as old as I am, But we see over a lifetime, people make decisions to not walk after God. And so you say, now that'll never happen to me. And yet, for some of you, it may. My prayer is that it won't. And so I'd like to share this morning our four principles that I have seen in my lifetime that actually help people walk hard after God for a lifetime. It's always God working in our hearts that's going to make the difference. But there's four things I have seen in people that God is, in my life and in others, I have seen does make a difference for who walks after God for a lifetime. The first one is based in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Many of you could probably quote it for me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The first thing I have seen that allows people to walk hard after God is to, they are pursuing discipleship. When I say pursuing it, they aren't just saying it's a nice word, it's a nice term, let's see how we do this. It's saying, God, bring somebody in my life who is going to teach me about you. And as they're teaching me, show me how I can take that and pass it on to somebody else. And God, it's all your process. This isn't man's process, it's what Christ did. I've noticed in the church in the last 10 years, we use the term mentoring a whole lot more. I personally don't care for that word, but that's just because I came out of the business world, and the business world uses mentoring all the time. Mentoring in the business world does not match what discipleship is. And if I want to talk to somebody who may not be a Christian, I want to describe what discipleship is. They'll think mentoring is, oh, yeah, somebody helps me every so often, and when I need it, I'll go to them, and that's it. That's not discipleship. 
When Christ spent three years with his disciples, he lived with them, he showed them what's going well, times of joy, he showed them what's going not well, and said, if you read through it, sometimes he just hit them hard. Peter tended to get it the most because he was the most outspoken, but um, I love Peter in the Gospels because he at least said what was on the inside. Most of us have learned how to keep it on the inside. Peter would just say it, and Jesus would just have a response to him sharing that. And so when I say pursue discipleship, it's a commitment that somebody's life is going to be more important than my own. I'll spend time with them to say, what does it mean to walk after God? Let's do it together. That's what Bob did for my life for four years, and I was never the same after it. And so the first thing I've seen that helps people immensely walk after God hard for a lifetime is to pursue discipleship. Somebody, Lord, bring somebody who's going to teach me and train me as I need to be taught. And then when I have that, Lord, show me how to pass it on so people don't even see me. They see you as I pass it on. That's discipleship. And many of you are in those relationships. Continue those for your lifetime. It makes a difference. The second thing I have seen that makes a difference to walk with hard after God for a lifetime is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I'll let you guys turn to that one. We're not going to do exegetical studies. That's what I'm more used to doing as I um, teach and preach at church. But Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13 is one you probably have read over before. In verse 12, Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I love this verse because Paul's saying, I've learned the secret. And the key about it is, he had to learn it. And there's other translations when you get into it, it's that process of being content in every situation is what he's talking about. I know what it is to be, have plenty. I know what it is to be in want. One of the joys about being around college students is many of you know what it is, is to be in want. You know, it's not like you have everything you need. And you say, God, how's it going to make it this year? There's others who well, I have plenty. And Paul said, I've lived both those worlds. He says, I've learned the secret through the whole process, no matter what God does to me, what it takes to be content. And I always thought contentment, in my picture, a lot of years ago is um, Thanksgiving Day after you've had the t- turkey meal, you're watching football, you're laying back, and oh, you know, that's contentment. No. God has such a different picture of what contentment is because he sh- shares it for us in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How do you have contentment in your life as a Christian? It's God working through you. And you say, sometimes I know it's me working, sometimes it's God working, but sometimes he's just working with me. The thing I've noticed over time is that the Christians I see who are frantic, harried, things are always a problem, are working on their own. They're saying, my strength, I need to do this. God's given this to me. I've got to go do it. And believe me, working wholeheartedly for God is something that is needed. But I see the contentment when I see somebody working and working and working, and I see peace within everything they're doing. Because what they're saying is, it's God doing it through me. I'm not doing this unless God's going to do it through me. And so the second thing I have seen is to learn to be content. Helps you to walk hard after God for a lifetime. 
And it has to be a learning process because where you are now, you'll learn to be content. Five years from now, God's going to have something else in your life. You need to be learning to be content all over again. I am still learning it, and I'm old. I'm going to be going to my grave learning how to be content in certain areas. He teaches me in some areas, and I learn it, and then he shows me a new one. I go, I wasn't ready for that, Lord. You know, okay, well, you're going to have to teach me some things how to get through this. And yet that's what stands out, not only to other Christians, but to the world. When they see somebody where things are going awry and they see a peace and contentment in the midst of it, they're going, I don't have that. And it opens up the doors to share about Christ, what he has done in your life. So that's the second thing that I think is very important. The third one that I have seen helps people walk hard after God for a lifetime is that Christians who embrace hardship. And you go, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to embrace hardship? I'm not talking about being a masochist and, oh, let's see how hard I can make life. But when God brings the hard things, you work with him through it. And for this, I'm going to kind of give you a picture, and it really has nothing to do when I was seven, eight, or nine. But when I was about eight or nine years old growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, we played football, baseball in the street. It's just how we did it. We didn't have a whole lot of parks. We had some, but, you know, street ball was not uncommon. I want to give you a picture. I was about seven, eight, or nine. I loved football, sports, all sports, basketball. And so I was flying down the street on a fly pattern, running as fast as I could, and the quarterback was throwing the ball my way. You know, three of us went out. I knew it was coming my way, so I am speeding as fast as I can. I see a perfect spiral coming. I was at least three feet behind whoever was trying to cover me. I knew this was a touchdown. And so I'm running for everything I've got. I see the ball coming down, and I can just picture what's going to happen. And then things went dark. What I didn't realize was a quarterback threw a perfect spiral so that the football landed on the hood of a car. You know, we had parked cars in the street. If I was smarter, I would have known it was there. But I was going full speed out, stretched out all the way. And since I'm old, cars when I was growing up were not like they are now. Big metal grills, big, everything's metal. And I had a massive bruise from here to here. And I was just on the ground, laying down, trying to breathe. It took me probably a minute or two to get my breath back. And I was just, you know, and... But I bring that up because you can probably picture what that is. I have a picture in my mind of a football that's going to spiral right into my hands. I'm going for a touchdown, and the next second, I'm on the ground gasping for breath. That's the hardships God brings sometimes. Now, that's a picture of it. In my life, it came after I'd been married about eight or nine years. And my wife said, I'm going to leave you and marry somebody else. And just as I was on the ground, as a seven or eight years old, I was the exact same place again. It was never in my plans. She was part of the Navigator Ministry. She was just like you guys. She led more people to the Lord than I ever have in my life. But eight or nine years later, she goes, nope, I'm leaving you. She married somebody else. And just as I felt when I was seven or eight years old, just trying to breathe, that's what God brought. And I didn't like it. And by the way, I hate divorce, so... Don't take this as, oh, divorce is okay. It's not. God hates it. But it happens. And now, on this side of it, I can say, God, you used it for good. That was 20-plus years ago. And my kids are still reeling from it. But it has opened up ministries and times for me to counsel, my wife and I to counsel with people I would never have before because it happens to Christians. 
And I look at that process, and for a year or two, it was no fun. I was a single dad. I had three sons. Had them full-time for almost a year, year and a half. And I go, God, what is going on here? Because my hardest thing I had through that whole process was I had to learn something new about God. Because I said, God, I checked the list. When I, before I got married, we had counsel from elders. We had counsel from pastors, other Christian people. We didn't do this on our own and just go off and do something. I said, God, you knew this was coming. And you didn't tell those people to tell us not to get married. And I had such an issue with God. How, God, how can you do that? We're seeking after what's best. And I had to learn that God said, this may not be best, but this is going to be good for you. And say, God, you can use this. What's amazing is my wife I'm married to now, like I said, God has just given me such a sweetheart. She um, went through the same process I did about a year or two later where her husband left her to marry somebody else. And as we got together and just started sharing our hearts about what God was doing, we both came to the same understanding of what God did. See, for me, about six months before my wife left, I prayed a prayer. I said, God, I want nothing but you. Do anything in my life to make my character more like Christ. I don't care what it is. And I said that honestly. Less than six months later, my wife was gone. My current wife, Pat, prayed the same thing three months before her husband left her. I want anything, God, anything that's going to keep me from having your character. And look at that. We both talked about that. We said, looking back, we now see our ex-husbands and wives aren't walking after the Lord. And we said, God knew that. And God, in his graciousness, brought divorce to transform us to be more like him. So when I say embrace hardship, it's not because, oh, I want to go take something that's hard. I want to say, God, whatever you bring, use it. And in the midst, change my heart and my character to be more like yours. When I see Christians who have come through this, they are not the same. My wife and I often joke with each other. We wouldn't have liked each other before. We thought we had stuff figured out in the Christian life. God showed us there's stuff you haven't quite figured out. We still have stuff we haven't figured out, but we're on the path of every time God brings something in our life, we want to walk after him with everything we have. When you think of James 1, Romans 5, you see the progression. Do I want God's character? Well, what has to come before that is tribulation and perseverance to get God's character. And that's the hard part to pray. But that's what both my wife and I prayed before our divorces. I want nothing but your character. And God said, okay, persevere through this. So that's the third thing that helps people walk after God for a lifetime, hard after God for a lifetime. Pursue discipleship. Learn to be content wherever God places you. Embrace the hardship, tribulations, and suffering that God can bring into your life. Don't embrace sin and call it suffering. That's not the same. When God brings things, when sin, just say, God, I need to work with this and get it out of my life. But when it's stuff God brings in that's, that's hardship and tribulation, use it. Then the last one. Look to, look to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. One of my favorite passages. You have to be careful. There's, there's many favorite passages just as you have. But 1 Kings chapter 19.
We're going to start in verse 9, but just to give a little background, just to get us all there, Elijah has just had the greatest victory over the prophets of Baal, and God has shown, I am God. And he leaves there, and he succumbs to fear, because Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And she has the power to do it. She's got the kingdom behind that. And he's been running away from Jezebel, and he ends up at a cave very far away. And that's where we're going to start with verse 9. Then he came there to a cave, lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Son of Israel's Sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed the prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's close to the end of his life. He's going, I'm tired. I've been sharing God. I've been faithful. And guess what? The people aren't doing it. There's not a group like you sitting in a room saying, oh, I want to walk after God the rest of my life. Elijah's going, I've been sharing it. Yes, there are some others, but they aren't doing much. But I love the question that God asks him. What are you doing here? It's one I come back to so often in my life. It's a great question that you can ask. You know, you're here at Montana Bible College. What am I doing here? Why does God have me here? For me, it was, why am I still doing engineering? I was a junior and saying, God, I want to serve you for my life. Why do you still doing engineering? God said, I want you to. Now, he didn't write it in the sky, but he made it clear, finish up. Do what you have me to do. But then God does something else when Elijah, in the depths of his heart, says, I'm weary, God. I want to serve you. He shares in verse 11, So go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by. And great and strong wind was rendering the mountain and breaking into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it, then he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The fourth thing that I have seen allows people to walk hard after God for a lifetime is they learn to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. And this is one great way. Most of us want God to hit us over the head and just show us what the answer is. We have decisions in life. We have things that come up to us and we go, God, just show me. You know, put it up on the screen right now. Jerry, I want you to do this. And yet God has it so much more intimate than that of how do we listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. And one of the secrets is in here. We want the earthquakes. We want the great wind. We want the fire. God, I want to see your everything. And so often the Holy Spirit leads us in just a quiet whisper. Now we have his word. We have things to look at that will guide us. But there's sometimes we have questions that there's not a sin, non-sin answer. Many of you in the next two or three or four years, you're going to be saying, God, where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you listen to the Holy Spirit's leading? Because guess what? 
when I was leaving college and I was saying, okay, God, what engineering job to take? I couldn't turn. Okay, Isaiah 54.3 says, you need to move to St. Louis and work for Olin or you need to work for Westinghouse in Pittsburgh. That wasn't there. And so I asked God, well, how do you make those decisions? And there's one thing he showed me that has worked great in my lifetime. When you have a decision to make that's a major decision, I'm not talking about whether you get out of bed in the morning or not. Um, that's not a major decision. Um, but when you see things, you say, God, I want what you want. One thing that I have seen that has worked well in my life is to ask myself this question. God, of these two decisions, what are other Christians not doing? What do other believers choose not to do for whatever reason? Help me to do what the other believers and other Christians aren't doing. And it's amazing how easy decisions get to be when you're saying, God, I want what's best for your kingdom. I want everything for your kingdom. And you say, God, if other believers are willing to do this for your kingdom, then I'll choose this one. I mean, that's one of the ones that led me to teach at Heritage. It was quite simple. When you're engineering management, making a lot of money, and you say, okay, why aren't there math and science teachers teaching Christian high schools? Well, because those math and science people can make three to five times as much out there than they can at Heritage. And you go, God, it's an easy one. Go do this. And I'm not saying it because of pride or anything. I'm just saying when you think of decisions, look out there and say, God, what are other believers not willing to do? Help me to do that, to serve your kingdom. And it's amazing how God just makes it crystal clear when you have major decisions in life to do. So what's four things that help you, help me, help Christians in general to walk hard after God for a lifetime? Pursue discipleship with all of your heart. Learn to be content with everything God's given to you. Embrace the hardships that God brings into your life and learn to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Those are things I have seen time and time again allow people to keep walking after God for their life. Let me go ahead and close in prayers. We'll get that. Father, I thank you for each and every person here this morning for what you have already miraculously done in lives. Lord, how we long to walk after you with everything we have for our lifetime. I just humbly ask you this morning that you would give each of us a desire to do what is daily necessary to long for nothing but you. And my prayer is that as people study here, as you lead them out into their lives, they will walk hard after you for their entire life. And they can come before you to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of your body. And may you guide the rest of our day in everything that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.